Welcome to the SaaS Ad Lab podcast, where we into the stories of SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. My name is Luis. I'm the founder of Phantom Agency, a digital marketing agency specializing in scaling SaaS companies. And today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Rodion. He is the CEO over at Poster. First of all, thank you so much for being on here today. It's a pleasure having you. And to kick things off, why don't you just start off by telling you know everyone a little bit more about yourself, your background, and then lead into really what was you know the reason that you started the company in the first place. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you for having me, Louis, today. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a tech entrepreneur. I'm uh, into IT entrepreneurship for the last 10 years. Uh, before that, I was doing just some freelance jobs, which uh, were IT jobs as well, like design, programming. Uh, afterwards, we started an uh, agency with uh, my partner and friend, and we started doing websites and mobile apps for uh, customers. Then, um, it, like, it went for three or four years or something, and we were just not very satisfied uh, with, uh, you know, doing job for, for the customer because you are not able uh, to uh, control the final result all the time. And sometimes mm-hmm. you just commit very much into a project and you don't like what uh, happens in the end, what it looks yeah. like, or <laughs> how it's evolving afterwards after you release it. So... Um, that's why we were always keen to launch our products. We had um, several uh, ideas, several failures. Uh, one of our first more or less successful projects was a website and mobile app called The Weekend. Basically, we were scratching our itch and we wanted to make uh, a very um, UX-friendly website where you could find something to do on the weekend in your, in your city. Uh, basically, this was like an... Uh, catalog of the best venues and events, cinemas and stuff like that. And also we had like a mobile app for that, blog. And uh, at some point, um, it was the time where people were uh, having a lot of discounts, plastic cards uh, for different kind of restaurants and stores and malls. And like all of my friends were like uh, having a bunch of them in in their bag and it was very funny. So we thought maybe we could create like one... uh, discount card that uh, you buy it for like an annual subscription mm-hmm. and you receive all the discounts and bonuses from like the best venues of your region of your city. Um, so when we started printing those cards and selling them, we've sold um, like 15,000 uh, cards and in, in different cities and countries, basically this project was scaled on a franchise model. So we, we had like uh, franchise, franchisees in different countries and cities uh, around 15 of them. Uh, but we also found out that uh, we don't know, we, we don't have any intelligence on those uh, cards because basically they work like a flyer. They were not integrated anyhow into the point of sale at the restaurant. So, and we wanted to know which of our card holders visited which of the restaurants or uh, stores and what they ordered so that we could um, deliver better results to the restaurant owners and also so we could target um, those card holders with uh, different, um, you know, different promos that they will be interested in. Give give more to the ones that are actually using it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So at some point we uh, understood that we kind of need to integrate with the software uh, which runs the restaurants and stores, uh, which is called the point of sale software. And we started just going around our partners and asking uh, which one they're using. Basically, we understood that there is lots of them. They're very different. Mm. 
they don't have like that kind of friendly API. So we're not, we'll not be able to integrate with uh, like any of them quickly. Um, and we, we went further and we asked people if they basically like their software because to us it looked really crappy, like something made from, I know, like Microsoft Access from <laughs> 2000 something. Uh, and it was kind of funny because, uh, you know, it, it was 2012 and you already had Dropbox, like Twitter, right. uh, any software for your MacBook, like anything. And um, it, it had all these nice interfaces for the consumer software, but uh, the software that businesses were using were, was like awful. So, um, and we found out that basically this is not our, not only ours concern um, because uh, people hated it. So they had to spend a lot of time doing some basic reporting. Uh, they didn't like the interface and also it was like very, very expensive. So yes. basically uh, those companies who did point of sale um, in, our, in our region, they were uh, selling software on premises, like in a box. Right. And you you just uh, had to invest a lot of money. Uh, and basically, that's why a lot of smaller uh, restaurants or smaller cafes, coffee shops would not uh, would not be able to afford uh, this. So uh, they would either write, you know, on a piece of paper or use something like an Excel or just, I mean, they, they didn't use those for fine point of sales. So we, we saw this like as a window of opportunity because basically in the US, uh, all the exciting, exciting stuff was already happening uh, around the time. So Square was launched, uh, Revel, Vent in New Zealand. So there was like, I don't know, up to maybe 10 uh, well-known companies that already did point of sale at that point of time. But this uh, never happened in uh, Ukraine or Russia. Uh, that's why we wanted to scale like this business model and make a very usable, uh, easy, understandable point of sale. So we differentiated ourselves as a uh, very easy solution that works on iPad instead of this big uh, crappy PC and uh, you don't have to invest a lot of money um, from the very beginning. You just subscribe to a you know monthly subscription, very uh easy and uh, the interface is just nice and you don't have to uh, invest a lot of time to understand how to actually run your business. Mm -hmm. So basically that happened in 2013. Uh, we, that, that was our launch. We thought of Poster as a, uh, you know, a complementary product to our other company that we ran the weekend. Uh, but basically in a year or something, we understood that Poster is, uh, has just so much more potential and it is growing much faster. So we sold the equipment and we closed the agency. Uh, also we received like a small, um, agile investment for uh, Poster and we started focusing our attention solely to this company. Very cool. So one of the, one of the questions that kind of came up to me while you were telling me the story is like, obviously there is. You know, like there's, a, there's, I think the one that I know the, the name of off the top of my head is just Square and you, and you talked about it, but did you ever do any market research and try to understand why Square hadn't expanded into, a, in, into the Ukraine in this case? Mm -hmm. uh, basically, it's very difficult to build in, in our market to build a very global point of sale because uh, every country has their own regulation and mm -hmm. uh, fiscal compliance. So 
basically, you cannot just make global point of sale, uh, like software that would work everywhere, because, uh, for example, in Ukraine, in Russia, there is this thing which is called the fiscal register, which is basically a printer, like an Epson uh, thermal printer, but it has like a special chip inside of it that would sync all of the data about sales uh, directly to the tax authorities. And this hap- thing happens like in a lot, a lot of countries. And yeah. more, like even more countries are moving towards that. So basically like this year, Germany, Austria and Switzerland launched. Uh, we are, have now like an office in Mexico and we're also launching Colombia and every Latin America country has like uh, some kind of variation about this compliance of theirs. Mm-hmm. And uh, even things may become even more complicated in some countries, for example, like in Russia, they also control the whole flow of alcohol from the manufacturer to the end customer of a restaurant. And this mm-hmm. is like a single IT structure, uh, which every software should be integrated if you sell alcohol. And this thing is going to be implemented in Ukraine as well. And like a lot of countries implement those kind of stupid regulations that make it uh, more expensive for business to work. But basically, they also create an opportunity for IT guys like us to solve those issues. Totally. That's, that's really interesting. That's cool. Now, you're talking about scaling the company and obviously like this, this started off and it became a success relatively quickly. Uh, you got some angel money. You started working on the product full time. How did you get the product into the hands of consumers? What was the, the main, you know, kind of like sales tactic that you were implementing at this point in time, right? When you get to like, how did you, how did you get your first a hundred users? Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually had uh, a very, promising hypothesis that uh, all of those partners uh, we had in the our previous business in the weekend would be interested in using our perfect point of sale uh, because they didn't like their previous ones but um, as we uh, started and uh, like we talked to them and they said oh nice we just hate our software so much but uh, when we had a first prototype they were not willing to use it actually because this is uh, the thing we found out about our business is that um, point of sale is uh, like in the very core of the restaurant business and uh, people invest so much into the software, into the processes around it, into, you know, inputting all of your data, having your statistics for the most longest period like uh, you want. And uh, that's why the switching cost for a business is just fabulous. Uh, I mean, it's very difficult for them to switch from one provider to another. They do this only if like they find something 10 X better or like they're really, really annoyed with their current provider and they have a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the good news is that restaurant business uh, has a very high uh, churn. So basically uh, restaurants close and open up like in the U S every year, uh, 300,000 restaurants open up and almost the same amount closes. So basically, this is uh, the renewal rate, which allows you, uh, this is like the sweet spot to find a customer who is choosing, who's opening a restaurant and who's choosing a point of sale. Mm -hmm. So basically, all of our marketing efforts were uh, based on this to find places where people who open up a restaurant would go uh, to do a lot of digital marketing to find them early uh, with our blog, with our content uh, to, you know, 
help them with the opening stage to tell them, you know, give them a checklist of the opening date and stuff like that uh, to find them early uh, to be able to, you know, capture them. Um, but uh, like nowadays, uh, I think like 60, 70 percentage of our sales uh, is made organically. So uh, most of them are just for by recommendation. So it's either nice. uh, existing business owner recommends poster to other businesses or they're opening up uh, a new restaurant or this is like a franchise and they're like there is a new franchisee joining and stuff like that. And then we have organic traffic which is basically most of the time is also brand and um, sometimes, you know, those content related stuff or commercial uh, keywords. So, and it's like 70 to 80 percentage of our sales. So uh, it's very difficult, you know, to buy this thing, uh, almost impossible when, when you are entering, you only have those like 20 percentage of sales that we do using paid advertising. This is where uh, you can compete with us. Um, in in the markets we are at so um, that's why the, there's like no easy answer on how to you know do lead generation but right. it, for, for the very very first customers uh, like I don't know like 10 of them it was important for us just to find the uh, someone who had like at least very small like some kind of influence in in, in our old city so basically this was a uh, Chinese tea place, mm. um, which influenced a lot of other places in the city, uh, which was like some kind of trendsetter. And they didn't use any point of sale because this was like a rather small venue, but um, a very trendy one. And um, it was very expensive for them to buy point of sale. So basically, I knew the owner and I was trying to teach my idea to him for, for a long time but uh he was like always busy and at some point he just catches me in in, in the restaurant and says like radian you had some idea you wanted to, to talk about what's that about and i understand that he's talking to some other guy right now and i have like very small amount of time and uh, at that time we had this uh big competitor rival called our keeper and mm -hmm. i just explained this uh it came out of my mouth like our keeper for 50 bucks a month and he was just very happy, you know, to, to, to have it and to buy it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. And, and a couple of things kind of stood out from, from that entire explanation, but one of them was the fact that about the same, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you, you mentioned that this was the same case or a similar case in, in Ukraine, right? Like the same amount of restaurants that close also open up within a year. So does that mean that, or at least I think you said like about 50%, uh, of the restaurants end up churning. Does that mean that you would have a churn of about 50%? I guess uh, year. Yeah. I mean a bit less, but I think like around 40% is a uh, yearly churn. That's right. It's Which, like I guess, crazy numbers basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I guess that could be a bad thing or <laughs> a good thing also. Right. Because you, you, mm -hmm. you, you kind of could assume that you'll have 50% more leads for the next year but that also means that you're losing out on 50% of the customers also. And you almost already have, without having any sort of historical data, you could somehow project what the lifetime value of each one of your customers is going to be. Mm -hmm. is, it could be useful essentially for any sort of financial projections, which is good. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, for because we have those churn data, we understand the LTV as well. And the like, the churn data is just crazy. And uh, like, eighty percentage of our churn uh, is related just to the closed business, and like only twenty percentage of the customers we're losing is because they're switching to other software or switching to back to Excel or like a piece of paper. So uh, that things also happen as well. Um, and like what this high churn means is that we have to be like to, to continue growing. Uh, we need to grow our sales even faster, you know, uh, because those churn data, those churn uh, in relative numbers every year, there's like more uh, customers who churn in absolute numbers. So we need to, you know, rapidly speed up our sales just to keep going. What is the best way so far that you've found to start increasing the number of sales that come in on, on any given any given month? Uh, there is no easy answer. As I said, like it all comes from for us from brand awareness, from uh, working our customer health, and you know uh, to to encourage people to recommend poster. Um, I, I mean, there is no like single growth hack, tactic, or something that you could use. Uh, basically, for us, this is a mix of recommendations, encouraging people to recommend us, making the best product for them, and uh, content marketing. Also, uh, doing trade shows, which is and uh, trade shows, and you know some offline events where we could uh, speak and uh, tell about point of sale and how it's important for your business. Mm -hmm. um, Actually, those offline events are very difficult to track. Uh, I mean, their return of investment. And if we start to track those, we see that they're basically too negative. But uh, we also could see that if we stop stop doing uh, those events for like certain period of time, we see a drop of leads afterwards. Mm. So basically, we um, decided for ourselves that in every country, in every country where we work, we would do like almost all of the possible offline events or all of the, almost all of the possible gatherings, uh, cause it works. Well, right. And, and, and I like to think of those as a very top of the funnel approach that, and like you said, like you can't really track it unless I guess you're getting like their data directly from there and then adding it to some sort of CRM or something like that. But that might be a little bit too much work if you know that they're going to take a while to, to actually turn into a, a lead or a customer later on. But I think of it, if you, if you did notice, you know, like, Oh, if we're going to the trade shows and and we like either see a steady amount of leads coming in or a, a bit of an increase, that's good. But once you remove yourself from those trade shows and you start to see a decline, then that definitely tells you, you know, like there's something valuable and going and it's definitely brand awareness because, you know, it's not a trade show specifically to POS systems, which means that these people are not necessarily interested in, in acquiring or, or getting a new sort of, you know, POS at that point in time, but whenever they do, they already have you in mind because they saw you presenting the importance of it, which is good. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, what is, uh, or actually, just backtrack here a little bit, did, did you ever use any sort of sales rep or anything like that to get on phone calls to, to talk to restaurants, or has everything been very self-serve in the way that they'll just look up, find some content that's valuable, and then decide to try the free trial on their on their own? Uh, you mean if we do outbound or if we just uh, help our customers to onboard with a sales rep? No, yeah, more more so outbound, like just picking up the phone and calling, you know, any sort of local restaurant or anything like that to try mm -hmm. to get. Yeah, we we tried that several times, but again, 
this falls into a trap of switching costs because uh, like like oh, even mostly in Ukraine and Russia, um, there are several uh, powers that um, encourage restaurants to have a point of sale. And point of sale is almost like an industry standard. You, it's nowadays very difficult to find, find a restaurant without one. Mm-hmm. Uh, like those powers are first is the fiscal compliance. So it's very difficult for you to have like the right uh, relation with government without a point of sale. And uh, the second one would be stealing. Uh, this is like a very big problem. It's declining over time, but there is uh, a lot of stealing involved in the restaurant industry. That's why uh, the precision of the inventory management and stuff in uh, developing countries is like much more higher uh, than in, 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 in developed countries. Mm-hmm. So basically... Uh, in in Ukraine, restaurant business is uh, a very systematic business. While it doesn't even generate that much profit as like I know a small restaurant in Italy would, but it has much more systematic and business approach. Uh, that's why like almost all of the restaurants have a point of sale, and that's why because of the switching costs, calling them outbound or even we tried coming to them, you know, going through the city, uh, it's very difficult to convert them. Uh, mm-hmm. One other thing which worked well is basically finding new uh, new legal entities that are just opening right now um, with those kind of, we have a thing which is called like a code and we, they have like a restaurant code basically. And uh, we find those legal entities, we find those contacts and this is might be the point where they don't have a software yet. So uh, this might be a good point to, to come to them. Yeah, so that's something that came into my mind, right? When you said that it was almost, you know, an obligation for these small restaurants to have a point of sale. Because what I thought of is what you could do is, and maybe it's something you're already doing. It sounds like maybe partly, but why not create their, you know, I don't know how hard this would be, obviously, but like try to maybe like creating a, a partnership with the government itself so that you are the, you know, the, the, the prescribed POS system for any sort of new restaurant that opens and you're pretty much getting your foot in the door with every single one of them from the mm-hmm. get go. Um, mm-hmm. And then that would, that would save you the hassle of having to say, you know, mm-hmm. Oh, well, like none of these are going to have the switching costs. And if they do, it's going to be a switching cost from you to a different POS, which again, is helping your case because you get to keep them for longer if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think like we're a little bit further in the concept of democracy and anti-monopolistic stuff to yeah. do that. Uh, we, of course, <laughs> that would be a great <laughs> idea to do if that would be possible. Yeah. Definitely. Now to, to kind of switch gears here, we've got a couple of minutes, but what is the number one, you know, marketing challenge that you've experienced um, so far, whether that is, overall or whether that is any sort of you know kind of like a hard stuff that you have from i don't i don't know you know the policies from the government and stuff like that but is there anything that kind of holds you back from doing certain things that you would like to try uh i mean there is a lot of uh efforts that we put into those fiscal compliances uh which basically you don't give any additional value to business. You don't, you know, allow them to earn more, to bring more customers, to lower their costs. It's just the compliance. So, and we need to stay up to date with those ever-changing laws. 
and that's like a very difficult thing to do um, in terms of like marketing challenge i can tell about the one we're facing right now uh it's in latin america um and uh, basically latin america is uh, mexico specifically uh is like three to five years before uh, ukraine in terms of technology adoption and um, that's why uh people are not used to their right now to buy subscription products yet and they uh like exactly the same thing that's happened to us in ukraine back then is happening right now in latin america because like the product uh, is a bit too much for them because they don't do this you know this deep down inventory ingredient granularity level and stuff like that uh they are not used to buying monthly product they don't almost like they don't always understand the concept of cloud software so and basically um we need to rebuild again our product our onboarding process our marketing efforts and do it differently in that market than we're used to right now in in our home market uh, to you know because like the conversion rate is like three to five times uh lower in let's say i'm just of this because of this gap in understanding and this is like one of the biggest challenge right now okay that's that's pretty interesting i can i mean i'm from i'm actually from mexico so i can understand how some of that some of those things might be the case um but yeah that's definitely interesting now to switch gears again and, and just talk a little bit more about the personal side of you know running a business a startup what is one thing that if you could go back to say day one knowing what you know now would you do anything differently um i mean i don't like those um you know general wise things that you could say to yourself uh from a more like pragmatic and product related uh things that we're facing right now uh i would say that it would be easier if we uh started making the product mobile first from the day one because uh, basically this was already a trend but we just missed it i think at some point mm -hmm. and it's uh you know it's difficult to convert a product which is basically already an enterprise software you know to move it it moves really slowly uh into into the mobile first paradigm and also maybe uh start scaling internationally earlier like just as soon as we had something to reinvest because those stories are long as well it takes time you know to to receive some credibility on a certain market so that's why starting earlier you know brings you earlier to something you want to get totally and i see a couple of books back there so i'm going to assume that they're yours do you have a favorite book uh that's somewhat business related uh, uh i mean it's difficult to find like the very favorite one but uh from the several years uh last several years i would choose understanding michael porter by uh i think john margaret is the author so. uh yeah uh, like there is this well-known theorist of business and competition and rivalry uh, michael porter but his works are just too big and difficult to understand and uh, there's john margaret who who were uh she, she's his associate and she make like a very nice summary of all of his ideas and this is something I really liked and all of our management team read it. So yeah, this one. Cool. Awesome. I'll have to check that out. And where can people find you online? Uh, Facebook, Twitter. 
Okay. And last question here. Do you have any questions for me? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it was like a very clever idea of yours to run this podcast. So um, I was wondering what is like one of the several most practical things you've learned from founders in those podcasts that you could implement in your own business? Totally. So one of the things that that's, that's one of the questions that I get a lot, but one of the things that has always stuck with me, um, and this one's from the founder of funnel CRM. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but he mentioned, you know, to do things that do not scale, um, which is a very good, very good, um, advice just because, it's true, right? Like you're always going to be talking to humans and, and mainly like thinking forward now where everybody's thinking about automation and doing all these different things and, you know, sending SMS automatically and then telling people that it's you, but it's not really you. And that sort of thing that like, you can definitely scale it, but people can read through the lines and realize, okay, like no. this is definitely a lot like a personal message or anything like that. But I think sometimes spe specifically in SaaS companies, right, where a lot of the things are done with a chat bot or on online or, or self-serve it's, I think it's really nice to maybe like get a phone call every once in a while, like talk to your customers and actually understand mm -hmm. what the problem is, um, that sort of thing. So, you know, and it's not, obviously not doing it all the time because again, it's not scalable, but doing some of those things I think can be really, really valuable and bring a lot of insight into whether it's, you know, the founder, the sales team, the marketing team, whatever they may be. Um, but that's one of the things that I've always thought of as, as super valuable for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a nice one. Thank you. But um, so that concludes the podcast. Thank you so much, Rodion, for being on here. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, yeah, I think you have a great story. So I think people will really like every piece of insight that you shared. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye.